Howdy. How you all doing? It's great to be with you all. Um, a guy turned up at a doctor, and he said, Doctor, doctor, I've been, I can't stop singing the green, green grass of home. And he said, he said that, that sounds like Tom Jones syndrome. And he said, is it, is it common? And he said, it's not unusual. <laughs> and then another guy talked to the doctor and said, doctor, doctor, I think I have a bladder infection. The doctor said, you're in trouble. And then when the Pope came to Edinburgh, um, a man came to him and said, Father, can you pray for me for my hearing? And so the Pope prayed for him, and, and he said, how is it now? He said, no, no, it's on Thursday. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be talking about miracles and healings, how God actually is a God who intervenes, and He changes our predicament. We're in the book of Acts. If you're, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. As Sammy said, my name is Pete, uh, pastor here at Destiny, and we love taking time just to work through the Bible. And we, we love the Bible because it's actually, it's not just a, a a man-written book, but it's a God-breathed book. It's, it's God's very words. And when we dig into it, we find it transforms our life and gives us a foundation for living. So we want to build on, on the Bible. So he, here's the story so far. So if, if you're just joining us, here's just a quick recap. Jesus, who is God, has come into the world, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again so that we can be saved. Having risen from the dead, he appears to the disciples over a period of time, and he, he, maybe seven-week periods, best part of seven weeks. And he, in that time, he commissioned them to go and make disciples and to go change the world, and he ascended back to the Father. And then seven weeks after the resurrection, a moment happened, the Bible calls it the day of Pentecost. We're now in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit falls. The people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to now go and take this message about God's love, this death and resurrection that can save every person to the world. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went. And that's what we've been looking at in the last few weeks. If you've missed it, go download it from the website. Uh, and it, Acts chapter 2, so the Holy Spirit's fallen. Thousands gather, it says. The church grows from maybe 100 people to 3,100 people. It's incredible growth, 3,000 people in one day. And it says at the end of Acts 2, Acts 2, 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many, say many, many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. Now, Luke goes on to, now in Acts chapter 3, highlight one of those many miracles. So, there were many miracles, but here's one that Luke thinks we really need to be aware of this one. So, what we're going to do is we're just going to study this particular miracle in Acts chapter 3. It's an incredible one. Maybe some of you are familiar with it, but let's journey through the verses. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, for Jewish people, there was two moments in the day when they would typically pray, nine o'clock in the morning and, and three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I know you guys aren't awake by nine o'clock, so you might do the three o'clock prayer time, but anyway, they did too, three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, a man was, who was lame from birth had been carried to the temples, been carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, I guess the, we've got a couple of questions that are, are coming out here, and, and I, I like when I'm reading the Bible just to ask questions of the text. In fact, have we prayed? Oh, you're kidding me on. Wow. 
Why didn't you tell me? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us as we turn to the Bible just now. Let the Word be alive. Change our lives. We give you permission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was just going through my checklist thing. I've said the joke. I haven't prayed. can't believe it. So, you know, the two essential things at the start of a message. Uh, so, why every day at the temple gate? This guy, this cripple, was laid every day at the temple gate. Why? The answer is that people who believe in God are generous. You see that all over the world. You see that in this church. People who believe in God don't just live for themselves. So, this was a good place to beg. He was blessed by begging there. But alms wasn't what he needed. He needed legs. <laughs> and miracles, sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we do the hamper appeal, we provide for people, we, we do the practical, but there comes a moment where someone needs a lot more than just a practical love expression. They need a supernatural love expression. And, and the good news is, as believers in God, God does those things through us. And it says here, one day, Peter and John, one day, say one day. Why that day? Why that? Because if you go ahead to Acts chapter 4, you discover that this lame man was over 40 years old. And in these verses, we've discovered that he's been like this. He's been lame since birth. So, for the best part of several decades, he's been brought every day to the temple court, to the temple gate to beg every day. So, guess who he's seen there? Jesus. He, he was there every day, and he would have seen many times Jesus passing, hearing about the miracles, maybe seeing people who had been healed by Jesus. Furthermore, Peter and John, this wasn't the first time they'd come at the hour of prayer. Likelihood is they had passed him several times on the way to prayer. Now, I don't know what was going on in his side. I don't know if he thought, Jesus is dead. I've missed my moment. Because you think, I mean, nothing like Jesus has ever happened. The last three years have been amazing. Everyone in Jerusalem had heard about the miracles. Everyone, I mean, they were not hit down in a corner. There was hundreds of people who had been miraculously healed, cripples who were walking, blind people who were seeing, lepers whose skin was completely smooth as a baby. Incredible. So, this wasn't done in some corner. Everyone knew about this, and this blind man, now he's heard Jesus has died. He's been crucified, and he might be thinking, I've missed that moment. But he says, one day, why that day? Well, that was the day God planned for him. That was the day that God appointed a day where that guy got healed. Why? Well, as you read on in the verses, just I'm going to skip ahead for you, thousands became believers who happened to be in the temple courts in that very moment when that guy was healed. God, you set it up that day because you knew all those people. We don't know their names, but that guy from Galilee, he'd be in the temple courts at that moment, and he'd be standing there. That's the guy who was crippled, and he saw him, and then he heard about Jesus, and he became a believer. You set the whole thing up, God. It's incredible. So, God, God, God did this, and I, I don't know the answer. Why that day? I don't know why that day, not the day before. Why not, you know, in Jesus's life? I, I don't know. Sometimes when, we're, when it comes to the miraculous, we don't know all the answers. But all I know is that that was this guy's day, 
And the knock-on effect was it was thousands of people's day. They experienced God as well. Um, here's a quick wee photograph. I was down at a church down in Wales, Victory Church in Wales, uh, a year or so ago. And this guy, Paul, here in the middle, he had been 10 years crippled in a wheelchair, unable to walk. 10 years and in that 10 years, he was part of Victory Church. He was, he was at church, and latterly he was in Victory Church. And he'd been prayed for many times for healing. But then on one evening, Wednesday evening, a prayer meeting, my friend Richard Taylor laid hands on him, prayed for him. His legs start shaking. Next thing he knows, he's jumped out the wheelchair. And, he, and not only does he jump out the wheelchair, he lifts the wheelchair. And some of the guys in the church have tried lifting that wheelchair. Some big, big guys in the church have tried lifting the wheelchair. You can't do it. Imagine lifting a wheelchair from there like that. Anyway, he, he not only jumped out the wheelchair, but he lifted the wheelchair above his head. He started running around the room. Anyway, that triggered, just like this miracle in the book of Acts triggered thousands coming to Christ, that triggered a move of God where all of a sudden there was waves and waves of people. This church saw about 100,000 visitors and multitudes of people healed. Not just one guy healed, but multitudes. Isn't that incredible? Just one day. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. One day, just just God does something, and and wow, He gets the glory. Verse 3, when Peter and John, uh, then he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. When Peter, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name, what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And reeks of confidence. Isn't that incredible? What I've got, I give you in the name of Jesus. Walk. Uh, last Sunday, I, was, I heard you guys had a great time with Ali, and uh, Tim was across in their north location. I, I was preaching down at the Newcastle Church, so we kind of did a wee swap over. And uh, I was down there, and I arrived early just to, walk this, just to walk and pray before I preached at the 11 o'clock service. So I like doing that. I like to arrive in a place, just getting some fresh air, just walking and praying, getting my head ready for the preach. As I was walking and praying through the streets of Newcastle, past this homeless guy, and he, and he was begging for money. And I, I rarely give money to homeless people, not because I don't love them, but simply because I, I don't always know what's going to happen with the money. I'd rather give them food or something like that. But what I always try and do is I always try and smile at them because they're human beings, okay? So I always try and smile at them. Um, so I smiled at him, and I said, I'm not going to give you anything, mate, and I smiled. I don't know if actually that was a blessing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> wow, what a blessing. Thank you. Okay, so anyway, I walked on past, and I suddenly remembered Angie had given me a boost bar and a Red Bull, right? Because when I'm driving so long, you know, it saves me, it saves me dying, like falling asleep in the wheel and crashing. Uh, I always have a, a boost bar and a Red Bull in my car. And I had this boost bar in my little backpack, and as I walked past, I, th- I suddenly remember, oh, I've got this boost bar. So I thought, I'll give him what I've got. So I said, I just remembered I've got this. Would you like this? I said, oh, thanks very much. So I gave him a boost bar and I continued my prayer, did the preach. And then on the way home, I was driving home and I thought, oh, I really fancy that boost bar now that I gave away. So I was in the middle of the A1, right, middle of nowhere. And I pulled over a little garage and I, I, I went up to the counter to boost bar from the 
this, this thing that holds the boost bars. And I, and I put it over to the lady. I said, uh, this, is, this is not, I, I don't need any fuel. This is fuel for me. Uh, and she said, uh, you know, it's a minimum payment of five pounds. And I said, oh, I said, I never carry cash. So I just had my card. And she said, but you know what? I'm going to give it to you. I said, no way. Thank you so much. So I got back to my car and I suddenly remembered I gave away my boost bar this morning to homeless dudes and I've just been given a boost bar. How cool is that? Yeah, I, I think that was God's. Anyway, I thought, I'm going to tell them that because this is a bit less dramatic, but very similar. What I've got, I give you. But isn't God good? I, I, just, I was really blessed by that, and I hope you were too. Where, where does this confidence come from? So when Peter says, what I've got, I give you, where's that confidence come from? Okay, so it comes from Jesus. Jesus in John 14, 12 said this to his disciples. This is before the death on the cross. This is before the resurrection. This is before the Holy Spirit came. He said to the disciples, very truly I tell you. Now see when Jesus starts with something like that, like truly, truly I tell you, you you think instantly prepare yourself to hear something that you're going to say, I can't believe that. So he preempts you thinking, I can't believe that by saying, I'm not lying. (laughs) So he preempts you thinking that because here's what's coming. Ready? Here it comes. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me. Sorry, anyone believe in Jesus here today? Wow, you guys could be a church. Okay, so whoever believes in me, listen, this is for you, believers. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. See, when you read something like that, don't let some theologian or some commentator explain away how it's not as radical as it sounds. It is as radical as it sounds. It's just incredibly radical. And Jesus said that, so I believe it. And, it, and I know we don't want to think, no, surely not. But he knew we were going to think that, so it's very truly I tell you. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you look at the life of Jesus. And the Gospels only record the tip of the iceberg of the miracles Jesus did. But here's the ones that record. It tells us about nine miracles over nature Jesus performed. Feeding the 5,000, walking in water, calming the storm, water into wine. We see him, 20 recorded healings in the Gospel. People who had leprosy, paralytics, people who had internal bleeding, blindness, deafness. There's recorded in the Gospel three resurrections, although there were more. And we have wonderful resurrections where you have Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. And, and then there's four exorcisms where people were delivered from the power of Satan. Jesus did this, and yet he says to us, even greater things shall those who believe in me do than even I did. And the reason he gives, he says, because, see it in the verses? Because I go to the Father. Now, what does that mean? Well, when he goes to the Father that triggered something for us. That triggered, remember, he went to the Father, and what happened next? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The ascension triggered the outpouring. So, the reason Jesus says, the reason the believers in me will do even greater things than I did is because I go to the Father, i.e., because I'm going to ascend, and I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit, and then they're going to operate in the same power. So, the issue is this. Jesus did great miracles in those three years on earth, but guess what? He's still doing great miracles. It's just today he happens to do them through you. And who are we to say, Jesus, you can only do great miracles in those three years? 
Who are we to say He couldn't even do even greater miracles today through us? It's not like, oh, that was Him, now it's us. No, no, no. It's always been Him. It just so happens it's now through us. Acts chapter 1, it starts this way. Acts 1 verse 1, in the former book I wrote to you, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the Gospels are just the beginning. Jesus is still doing and teaching great things. It's just the day He happens to do it through His body, the church. So have great expectation, believers. Rise above what is the norm. I don't care what tradition says. I don't care what religion has said. I don't care what your past has said. I don't care what disappointments you've had. The truth is this. God wants to do great things, and He does it through ordinary people. So Acts chapter 2 happens. The day of Pentecost happens. Peter and John, ordinary guys, are filled with the Holy Spirit and now operate in the same anointing and dynamic that Jesus operated in. So therefore, the same expectations for miracles that will bring glory to God happen through these ordinary men. And you see that they knew who they, who they had become. See, he said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I've got, I give you. You've got to become clear in who you have become when you've become a believer in Jesus. You, just haven't, you haven't just picked a religion. You've become a new person. God has taken up residence in the insides. Know who you've become and know what's in you, or so to say, who's in you. Know these things. Don't let them be nice thoughts. Let them be realities you live in, that Christ lives in us and therefore can do great things through us. This isn't self-confidence I'm seeing in Peter and John here. This was God-confidence. You see, I know that we, we have this conviction that God can do all things. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Stop. And, and we stop there. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Yes, he is. But then what does it go on to say? It goes on to say, according to his power at work within us. Say, within us. I know if I was to say, can God do all things? You say, God can do all things. But would you say, God can do all things? Because the Bible doesn't just say, God out there somewhere can do all things. He says, God can do immeasurably beyond all you can ask or imagine, according to the power at work within you that God can't just do all things randomly out there. I know that's a cop-out. I know that. But I have to tell you that God can do all things through us. That's the reality. And the truth is this. People who have a confidence that God can do things through them are the ones who build big churches. People who have a confidence that God can do great things through them are the ones who see more miracles than people who don't. Truth. People who step out and pray for sick people with a confidence in God, in Jesus' name, see more miracles than people who don't have a confidence that God could do it through them. They might acknowledge God, and they might be God-fearing people, but they don't see as many miracles as people who do have a confidence in God. So, there is the proof in the pudding. Now, I'm not saying that even with people who have confidence in God that they see everyone healed. I'm not saying that. Because I, haven't, I have confidence in God. But I don't see everyone healed. But I see more people healed than people who don't have a confidence in God. I love what Heidi Baker says. Heidi Baker's based in Mozambique, and they see many miracles. They've seen many blind people in particular healed, miraculously healed. And, they, and she said this, we pray for the blind and God heals many of them. 
And if they don't get healed, we care for them. And that's the dynamic. You know, Jesus also said, when I was sick, you visited me. So I, I believe in a God who wants to heal, period. I, I, no, no comma or abba or caveat. I believe God is a healing God, period. That's his agenda. And for some reason, I don't know why, sometimes the healing doesn't happen instantaneously or whatever. But in the meantime, we're going to care for you and love you. That's, that is the love of God. How do you release this power of the Holy Spirit? So here's Peter standing with great confidence saying, in the name of Jesus, I give you, you know, what I've got, I give you. How, how do you release this? How do you operate like this? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts that have come to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I think when you see someone who has needs, you want to meet that need. That's what love does. And sometimes the needs is beyond what you can meet in and of your own resources. And therefore, you need an answer that's beyond you, but it's certainly not beyond God. And that's where, God, I want to see that need met. Ernest desire spiritual gifts. It, it might be their need is, I don't know where I'm going in life. And you say, God, could you give me a word for them? And you're praying because you love them. God, could you give me a word for them? And guess what? God gives you a word for them. How often does that happen? And yet, if you didn't pray that prayer, nothing would happen. See that verse? earnest and desire spiritual gifts. That tells me really clearly that the ball is in your court. God's not the one holding back. God's not the one saying, no, no, not today. No, God is switched on. We need to get switched on. The point is this, that God wants to give words and bring healings and give gifts and do great things. It's just that so often we're on the fence. We sit on the fence while God wants us to be moved by love. You see, compassion is the breeding ground of the miraculous. And as we allow ourselves to be stirred with compassion for someone in maybe human need, maybe beyond the need that your money could answer, that's when God moves. And, that's, and He wants to do it that way. He wants you to reach to Him for great things to happen through you. So, earnest to desire spiritual gifts. And here's another way, I believe, of releasing His power. It says, Peter looked straight at Him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. What was that about? I think what was going on there is, I think it was Peter figuring what's God saying here. So, he, he gets the guy to look at him, and he's thinking, Lord, what are you saying here? Sometimes God gives me words of knowledge. I remember, I mean, I've got so many examples in my mind of times where God has given me a bit of information that's resulted in a miracle. I remember one time in Glasgow, God told me that someone had, a severe, had severely damaged their back, and they should come forward for prayer. This guy, at the end of the service, came forward and he had, it was like a corset. It was, it was a big brace right round his kind of lower body. And it was to hold him all together, really, to support him. And he was in anguish, a lot of pain, not, no mobility, just in a bad situation. So he came, I had this word, he came forward in response to this word, and I had the privilege of praying for him, and God instantaneously and completely healed him. So I saw him a week later when I was back in Glasgow, completely healed. No brace, pain gone, miraculously healed. 
So what happened there? I perceived what God was doing. Now, Jesus operated in a way that was sensitive to the Father. He said this, John 5, 19, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing. And I wonder if what Peter and John were doing, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if he's saying, Father, what are you doing in this moment? I wonder if he was looking for what God was wanting to do here. And sure, he was using physical eyes, but I think he was, ears were open. Father, what are you wanting to do in this moment? Verses eight, 7 to 8, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankle bones became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I love that. Again, look at the confidence. It wasn't just like, I'll pray the prayer. He says he, he took him by the hands and pulled him. What if it didn't work? <laughs> We're off to pray. You know, the guy's like, well, what was that about? Right? I mean, seriously, that, that would have been rubbish. But there's a lot of, that takes guts right there. You know, it's like sink or swim. Stand. Yes, it worked. Maybe there's a trail of the guys that didn't work with. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just joking. I think that was awesome. How cool was that? Imagine having the confidence. Imagine you're praying for a sick person on Leith Walk and the huge crowds of people there. Thinking, Let's see what happens. And you, just, you pull them to their feet. But it says instantly the feet and ankle bones became strong. I love that. You, you notice what, think about it. Notice what happened here. The guy didn't just get healed. I don't know if you've seen someone who's been crippled for 40 years. Have you seen how small the muscles are? It's like sticks. He gained enough muscle to leap. You know, when, when a, a child is born, they don't know how to walk. They've got to, they've got to, they have to months of learning how to walk and get their balance. That came instantly to this man. This man had an instantaneous miracle that had muscle growth and an inbuilt, instantaneous knowledge of how to balance. Not just balance, but leap. That's awesome. And that's the kind of stuff that God does. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that God does that today. I, I remember, actually one of the first miracles I saw in this building, when we got this building, 2003-2004, I was just there, uh, our drummer at the time, Aaron, had severe problems with his back. The bottom vertebrae in his spine, the bottom three or four vertebrae, had fused together, and they were, they were no longer operating independently of each other. They were operating like one bone almost. They'd become solid. And he had it restricted his movement. He went from being someone who was very good at athletics, to being able to run and so on, to be able, not, not able, to, able to run and in constant pain. Anyway, I remember praying with him just there, and as I placed my hand on his back, his entire back started shaking. And after praying, he, he was instantly freed up, and the pain had left. And from that point forward, he could run. And he went back, to, he had an appointment with uh, some specialists that he had already been meeting with, and they, they, started, they went back after that prayer, and they, they were manipulating his back and said, did you have an operation? Or because they couldn't understand how the bones were now independently moving, whereas they'd been fused together. And they, they'd never seen that reversed. But now it was reversed, and the vertebrae were independently moving. So God does these things. Let me read you an account of a man called Stephen Jeffries. Uh, now, the Jeffries brothers preached in this building 
uh, historically. They, they, they came here when Donald G. was the pastor here just after World War II, I think it was. But here's a, an account from, of the Jeffries brothers in 1925, written by a Reverend J.W. Adams, vicar of Wall near Litchfield. He, he recorded a meeting he went to with Stephen Jeffries was praying for the sick, and it says, I went as near to the front as space permitted, and I saw many before me, uh, and after the laying on of hands, who were, they were completely healed, blind received their sight, deaf heard, dumb spoke, cancer was cured, and lame ran. I was within five feet of a little girl who had one good eye, but in her left socket was empty, and it had in the rear of it blank skin. I was, it was my good fortune that when the child was brought up for the laying on of hands, I was quite near her again, and after a few seconds of earnest prayer, the pastor lifted his hands away, and there was a beautiful new blue eye that resembled the other. At these healing services, I was privileged to witness hundreds of miracles that week. It was the Lord's doing. It was like living in the Acts of the Apostles. Isn't that awesome? An eyeball appeared. God can do all things. You know the most exciting thing about this miracle in the book of Acts? It says, he went walking and jumping and praising God. He didn't just get a miracle. He got God. He, he, did, he, he suddenly, he was now in the temple that everyone else had been passing him to go into. He was now worshiping. He wasn't just begging and getting his needs met at the temple. He was now worshiping the God of the temple. He was now worshiping the true God. And the truth is, is God wants to do miracles, but he doesn't want you just to get that need met. He wants you to go way past that to the ultimate needs, and that's God's, because his ultimate need wasn't walking. That won't make you happy, walking. You know, many people who walk aren't happy. Most people walk, and most people aren't happy, right? Happiness wasn't tied up in his walking. Your soul is so great that a miracle like that would not satisfy. Only a relationship with God can satisfy the deepest needs of your soul, and therefore don't be satisfied with just the, the miracle. Go past the miracle to the relationship. I love what Ivan often says when he's in doing healing services in our church. He says, I don't want you just to be healed today. I want you to go home with the healer. I want you to know God. I want you to know Him and live for eternity and love that God. Verse 9, when all the people saw Him walking and praising God, they recognized Him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple called Beautiful, the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the, the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnades. When Peter saw this, he said to them, and he now goes on and preaches. And I, this is the truth, right? Miracles don't convert people. I know, I know you've had friends saying to you, I won't believe until I see a miracle, or do a miracle, then I'll believe. Not so. It is not the case. In fact, as we go on to Acts chapter 4, you find that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, and the, the Jewish authorities brought Peter and John with the crippled man, the three of them standing there, and they were figuring out what to do with these people, right? Miracles don't convert people. All this miracle did was it broke up the fallow grounds in the hearts of many people, and then Peter 
as we're about to see, goes on to sow the seed of the eternal gospel into the soil that's been broken up. And it's the, God's, it's the, it's the love of God, it's the truth about Jesus' death and resurrection that will change your soul. Miracles won't transform people. There are many people, including the Pharisees, who saw miracles and yet who denied God. Don't be one of them. But here we find the miracle became an answer. It, it was like the, the Sunday school class, and, and the teacher stands up in front of the kids at the church Sunday school, and she says, ask the kids, what's the small gray animal that has a bushy tail? And one kid puts his hand up and says, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel, <laughs> right? And you know, you know, Sunday school, every time, what's the answer? Jesus, right? Every time the answer is Jesus, okay? So, and, but it sounds like a squirrel, Okay, uh, but I love what Peter does here. Miracle happens. What does Peter do? Jesus. Every time. You see this right through the book, book of Acts. Anytime something dramatic happens, what do the apostles do? Jesus. Every time. And so, Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people uh, become believers. Why? Because Peter hijacks the moment this sign, crowds gather, he says, let me tell you about Jesus. Here a miracle happens, and what does Peter do? First thing he does, Jesus. He keeps using the, see, a sign isn't the destination. Like a sign here, you know, when you see a sign in the middle of the city, it says, Leith. You don't think, oh, Leith, is, I love Leith. This is great. No, you, that's pointing to Leith. That's not the destination. It's pointing you somewhere. Same with signs and wonders in the Bible. They point towards God. It's a sign that makes you wonder about God. It makes you curious about God. And that's what Peter does. He uses this as a moment to preach about God. Let me just show a quick film clip just now. This is from our two church planters, Amin and Comfort, who are over in Gombe, Nigeria. This is, how, this is a miracle that happened that, that caused the church to grow in the early stages of their church plant in Gombe. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, just want to appreciate God for what he's done. Um, when we left Edinburgh with the uh, idea of planting a church in Gombe, we went there and um, we started praying and fasting and waiting upon the Lord and asking him for direction on what to do. And um, when the church got started, actually, uh, we were just very, very few. As a matter of fact, we were three in number. And then all of a sudden, um, something happened. Um, a man came into our gathering, and um, and after the service, we we got to know that his wife had had cancer of the jaw. And so after the service, we we created time, and we went to the house and we saw the the wife, and and we prayed for her. Uh, before that time, he said um, the test showed that she had there were cancer cells in the test, but after we. We went, we prayed for her, we anointed her, and after the anointing, um, the, the following test showed that there was no cancer cells in her jaw, and, and we praised God for that. And uh, immediately after that, we, we, we experienced a, a, um, a growth in the church. People began to come to the church, and that was the beginning of our growth. We appreciate God for what he's done. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How cool is that? Amen and comfort. Amen. 
So the miracle happens, and Peter stands up on the back of this miracle, verse 12. He says, fellow Israelites. Who's he talking to? God's people, Jewish people. Fellow Israelites. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we've made this man walk? Now, what does that tell you about those crowds? First of all, it tells you that they had religiousness, but they didn't expect power. You know, people of Israel, have you read about Israel's history? Have you read about the miracles? But they had become religious. People of Israel, why does this surprise you? You believe in God. Come on. You believe in God who created everything. Why would it surprise you that a lame man could walk? It says in uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 that some people having a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Are you religious, but have no expectation for the miraculous? And then the other thing I realize here is, he says, why do you stare at us as if our own power and godliness has made this man walk? And this is the problem with religious people. They think good people get good things happening to them. It never once happens. That's religion. Do good things. Well, God's bound to answer my prayers now. You totally missed it. Galatians 3 verse 5 says, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, does God do miracles because you've perfectly obeyed God and you've done it all right and, oh, now I'm going to bless you? Or does He do it purely on the basis of you believing in Jesus who did a work for you on the cross? It's only on that basis. Don't ever come to God on any other basis. Your prayers will hit the ceiling. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one who did a work for us on the cross and rose again. And think about who's speaking here. It's Peter and John. Think about them a few weeks before this. Peter was the one who said, I I don't know him, talking about Jesus. He's the one who denied Jesus. And here's John beside him, the guy who stayed loyal to Jesus when he was arrested. But the point is this, it's nothing to do with, okay, you know, it's just like me and Sammy. Imagine me and Sammy were there, you know, Sammy, the guy who keeps messing up, getting it wrong, you know, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, all that, then there's me who remains loyal to Jesus. But the truth is this, it wouldn't be based on our behavior that our expectation for the miraculous is there. Is that right, Sammy? You're agreeing to that? Okay. God acts through imperfect people. God acts through ordinary people, people like us, people who haven't always got it right, but nevertheless, people who today are here because we're trusting in a Savior, not in ourselves. And we're trusting a Savior today. Wow. You have eternal life. We trust in a God who's done something for us, not in us who thinks we can save ourselves. We trust in Him, and He does not just save us and give us eternal life, he does great things through ordinary people. Verse 13, Peter continues to preach to the crowd, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead, and we are are witnesses of this. 
This is packed. Absolutely packed. It mentions here, notice it says, he has glorified his servants, Jesus. Well, I wonder why it uses the phrase servant. Why not he's glorified his son, Jesus, or he's glorified the Messiah, Jesus? Why he's glorified his servant, Jesus? It should, in your mind, if you know your Old Testament, it should, in your mind, remind you of an important text in the Old Testament about the servant of the Lord. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to do with this Jewish crowd who knew their Old Testament. He's trying to trigger their minds to remember servant, Jesus. Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, it says this, see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. This is hundreds of years before Jesus, all predicting Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. His form was marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle the nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What Peter's doing is he's talking to the people about the servant who laid everything down so they could be saved. And now he's telling them the bad news and the good news. He's telling them the bad news. You killed the author of life. And he doesn't just say that to the Jewish audience. He says it to us. We killed the author of life, the creator of the world, the one who created all things. By him, all things were created. Jesus. Furthermore, here's the truth. You might not even believe in Jesus. You might use him as a curse word. And yet, your very breath depends on him. Your moment-by-moment existence depends on this one who you knew nothing about, Richard Dawkins, whoever you are. Your very existence depends on Jesus. He was the author of life. Wherever he went, he brought life, raised dead people, brought healing, spoke words of life, and he ultimately created the universe and sustains it by the word of his power. You killed the author of life. The undying one died so the dying ones could live forever. That's what happened on the cross. And then he goes on and says, he, he, he ramps it up even more. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. So right there we see the two huge paradoxes. On one hand, you've got a, a revelation of the humankind's. It shows our total depravity, the total warpedness of human nature, that we would kill the holy and righteous one, the best of the best, and we would ask instead for the worst of the worst, the murderer Barabbas, to be released. It it reveals completely the total depravity of man. You're not just, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. We are wicked outside of God. If we die without God, we are damned forever. There's no, there's no, I mean, no society doesn't tell you that. Oh, this is the news today. You know, you're wicked. You know, it doesn't say that to you. But the Bible says that to you, and, the, and God's true. We are sinners before Him. But in that verse, it not only tells us that we're so totally depraved, it also tells us so radically loved that we disown the holy and righteous one, and we ask for a murderer. And I have to tell you that God went with it. He didn't just go with it. He planned it. He planned it to be so 
that Jesus would die and that Barabbas would be released, symbolizing what happened on the cross, that he, the holy and righteous one, the best of the best, died for us, the worst of the worst, that we get to go free because he was condemned. We get to be righteous because he became our sin. And that's great news. That is the only good news on planet earth. That is God's good news to you today. Today, maybe you've never given your life to God's. I'm not talking about vaguely believing in him. I'm talking about authentically becoming a follower of Jesus all your days. You can do that today. You don't need to live another day without God. You don't need to live another day unforgiven. You can today come to know God because Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive just now. He's here by your spirit, and he is ready and longing to save you. He did it because he loves you. This verse reveals the total messed upness of humanity, but the radical amazingness of God's love for you. And then he goes on and says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see has been made strong. It is the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you see. Now, let's pause for a moment and ask a couple of questions. What role does faith have when it comes to experiencing miracles from God? I think an essential role, and the verse refers to that, right? The verse is clear on that. Faith is essential for miracles to happen. So let's investigate it. What role does faith have? Well, first of all, faith sometimes is residing in the person being healed. Jesus came across two blind men, and it says in Matthew 9, he spoke to them and he said, do you believe I'm able to do this for you? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you, and their sight was restored. So there we have an example of someone in themselves had faith, and God did a miracle. Furthermore, we also see sometimes the faith is residing in an intermediary. A great example of that is in the centurion who came on behalf of his servant who was suffering. And Jesus was speaking to the crowds about the centurion who came on behalf of a sick person said, Matthew 8, 10, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So this, this man who wasn't even praying for his own healing, he was coming to Jesus for someone else's healing, was the one carrying the faith. And then I think in Acts chapter 3, we see faith residing in the people doing the healing. I, I think these verses are talking about the faith that comes through Jesus was in Peter and John. It might have been in the, the cripple, but he didn't have much time to think about it really. <laughs> I think it was more in Peter and John. I think they knew what they were carrying. They had faith and God did something, okay? So I think that's how it happened. And hey, listen, just to make the point even stronger, let's look at the converse. When Jesus came to his hometown, listen to what it says, Matthew 13, verse 58, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Wow. I mean, that's, that's the Bible answer to why he couldn't do many miracles there. Imagine stopping God. <laughs> he got, apparently, he couldn't. He couldn't. Okay, my hands are tied because he, apparently he restricts his operations to responding to people's faith. It's not, just to be clear, it's not faith that heals you. It's God that heals you. It's faith that receives the healing that God has for you. Faith are like arms. It's the arms that reach out and receive from God. But it is God that heals you. It's not your faith that heals you. It's God that heals you. It's your faith that reaches out and receives that healing that God is only too willing to provide. 
Verse 17, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he told, foretold through the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want a better life? Repent. You want times of refreshing? You want a happier, better, eternal life? Repent for sin. I know you think, but I like sin, okay? It's short-lived. It has a sting in its tail. Repent for sin. Turn from living your way and choose to live God's way if you want a better life. Verse 21 and 20, or I should say 20 and 21. Verse 20, and he will send the Messiah whom the hev- who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore, say restore, everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So he's telling the crowds, Jesus will come back, but the heaven must hold on to him until the time comes for the restoration of all things. So here we've seen a man being restored, healed and saved. Now, later in the chapter, you'll see that 5,000 people are restored through the man's testimony and through this message that Peter's sharing. But what you discover here is that eventually a time will come where the whole earth will be restored. It's beautiful, isn't it? You know, when you think of the man who is walking and leaping and praising God, again, that phraseology links back to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 35 Listen to what it says. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Isaiah 53, 35 is a description of Messiah's kingdom. It's a description of the rule of Christ, which will be ultimately seen in its total fullness when Jesus returns, the reverse of the curse new heaven and new earth, it will be is a reality and it will be glorious. But miracles are a foretaste of a curse-free world. Miracles are a proclamation of that coming kingdom. Miracles today are a huge sign that there is a king on the throne and his kingdom is coming. Miracles are the most natural thing in a world that has been made unnatural through sin. And when Jesus told people to preach the kingdom, it says in Matthew 10, he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then what's the next thing he says? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Why? Because the miracles are the natural realm in that coming order. The miracles are an indicator of the kingdom that is now and will ultimately be. You see, my dad's 88 just now. He's pretty fit and healthy, but he's not leaping for joy much. He's got joy, but he's not leaping. Okay? But a day will come when he will. A day will come when he will. A day will come where he'll be fitter than he's ever been. I don't know when that day will be, but he will spend more time incredibly fit 
that he's ever spent reasonably fit. Bill Johnson, I love what he said. He said, my destiny is to go to heaven. My responsibility is to bring heaven. And then just what happens next? Well, there's a huge response from the crowd and there's a huge response from the religious authorities. And we'll look at that in future week. The crowds respond positively. The religious authorities respond negatively. They, they decide to put them in prison, the apostles. But here's the conclusion. Acts 4 now, verse 3 and 4, it says, Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, you include women and children. That might have been 12, 14, 15, 16,000. I don't know. The church had grown hugely, and miracles triggered the growth. Do you know, church, you're an awesome, wonderful group of people. We're sinners, real sinners, who have been really saved by God. God, by His Spirit, comes and lives among us and in us. God wants to do great things through us. And it's those great things through us that will cause other precious people around us to come to know this great God. So may God do signs and wonders through you, ordinary people like us. We're just ordinary people. Let's pray. God, you're, you're very, very good. You're very good. Thank you, God, you're here just now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you're amazing. Just all stand up in his presence, just for a moment. Just, just sing with me. I stand amazed in the presence of of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean singing how marvelous how shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. In His presence, just, just thank Him for how good He is. Thank Him for His presence. Thank Him that He's the one who died for you and rose again. We're so sinners, we're such sinners, but he's such a great saviour. Just, just thank him right where you are. Give him glory, give him thanks. Be amazed at him. Glorify him with all your heart. He's here to do miracles. He's here to save souls. He's here to be the great God who is on the throne and his kingdom reigns 
And one day we'll see his kingdom in fullness. But just now, you can fully expect to see his kingdom breaking in among us. We glorify and honor your name, God. Just keep doing that. Keep focusing on Jesus. Just while people are doing that, maybe today you don't know God. Maybe you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus. This is your moment. He so loves you. Even though we're sinners, in his incredible love, he died for us so we could be forgiven and saved forever. He's alive today, and today you can put your trust in him and become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, this is your moment. Pray this prayer with me. Let this be your decision. Pray with me under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. I believe, Jesus, you died for me and rose again. I believe you're alive right now. I want to live my life from now on for you. Forgive me for all my sin. Give me a new start today. I believe in you, Jesus. And I choose to follow you from this day forward. Be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, God's just heard you. And he's just accepted you. I'd love to pray for you, whoever you are. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray for you. I'd just ask you to indicate to me you prayed the prayer just by raising your hands, just real quickly. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? You end up nice and clear so I know it's you saying that. Thank you. A couple on the balcony there. Anyone else today? You're choosing to follow Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for these wonderful people who today, in your presence, have just made the, the best decision of their lives ever. They've chosen to become followers of Jesus. Thank you. In that moment when they just prayed that prayer, you heard them. And you've forgiven them for their sins based on what Jesus did on the cross. And I pray right now, fill them with your love and power. Let this be the beginning of a new start with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.